The Flash is now released in theaters worldwide, so let's break down that insane ending. Hey everyone, welcome back to Movie Morning. The Flash is now out in theaters. People have seen it, I've seen it once. I'm looking to go see it again. Pretty much within the next, well I am going to be going to see it again within, within like the 15 hours after I record this. But I did want to record this before I go see this again, and because I won't probably won't be able to record my full spoiler review until much later this week, probably until Friday. So my spoiler review should be out next weekend, and my DCU ranking should also be out around that time. I wanted to get another episode out in The Flash first, breaking down the ending, because I think a lot of people are really curious as to what exactly happened, but more specifically, what it means for the future of the DCU, which will be the main topic of conversation this isn't ending explained, I know a lot of people scoff at me whenever I make these, but it's more really speculation about what that ending could entail. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about a little bit the reaction to this film. I'll make this as quick as possible, and I do mainly reviews on here, so I did want to bring this up. And my review, I, gave, I, I, was, pretty, I was really positive on the film. I gave it a B plus, a very solid rating. That's kind of the, I would say highest that when it comes to like really liking a movie maybe not quite loving it i really enjoyed the movie i had so much fun with it it touched for me it felt like a complete crowd pleaser it was really funny it was emotional it was everything that i knew i wanted going into the movie but there were just more problems within it and more things i was mixed on than i was hoping and it really all came down to the third act and i'll be breaking down a bit of that what exactly happens and some of my issues a little, little bit, but I'm going to be saving a, a lot of my, my thoughts and my issues with how it plays out for the spoiler review. Instead here, I'm just going to be talking about going through exactly what happened and what it could mean for the future. I did have a couple problems with this movie, but I was still expecting this movie to have great word of mouth. And then the film opened, I would say, about 36 hours ago relative to the U.S. time. Obviously, it would have been good with time zones and stuff. So now with the movie out there, this film received a B cinema score. Now a B on its surface sounds like a good score. The issue is the way cinema score works is that they take ratings and they take kind of do whether how much people like a movie. They they total it up, but they do it from like the opening night or I, th- I believe it might be opening day that it's on. So basically it's the people who most want to see this movie and the people who are showing up to it first. So the fact that those people, those DC fans, those people who probably grew up on Michael Keaton's Batman like I did, aren't loving this movie as much as they, as much as we're expecting, it's really disappointing. And it doesn't help that when it comes when it comes to comic book movies, when you when for a successful, I would say, cinema score read where you know this movie's this movie's being received very well, I think the metric for me is if it receives it receives an A minus or above, that's where I think a good to fantastic cinema score is for a comic book movie land. Anything below that, even a B plus or a B, is pretty lukewarm to negative for a comic book movie in terms of just how how they're usually measured. I mean, Thor The Dark World got an A minus, and the only two MCU movies that have gotten a B are Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and Eternals, two overtime MCU movies that I've really come to dislike, particularly Quantumania which I'm thinking of making a follow-up review on after my review. I think I completely misjudged that movie, and I really think it has only gotten worse over time. Might do that later this summer. We'll see how it goes. So it's really really disappointing that's that, that that's the case, but it's how, that's how it is. Movies are going to be received a certain way, and I'm honestly pretty surprised that it was received as low as it is. And I've been 
But one thing I've been really disheartened by that I want to bring up is, there, well, there, there are two things. Number one is the critic ratings. Now, I think it's fully okay if there are audience members who cannot get over the real-life trauma surrounding Ezra Miller, the lead in this film. Now, I thought Ezra, they gave a great performance in this film, and that I really grew to finally like their version of Barry Allen in this movie. However, I, well, while I do think it's fine for audiences to do that and factor that into their ratings because they're not professional critics that people seek out, when it comes to the critics, I really do think that if they have such a, if they can't separate the art from the artist and what this artist has done outside of this movie, there's some really bad stuff. I, tr- I really do, I, I understand that. However, I really do think what that shouldn't factor with the rest of the movie, considering the other th- Thousands, and I know it's cliche to say, but the thousands of people who worked on this movie. And I feel like a lot of the audiences are being turned away because so much of the critic ratings are being pulled down by people who just cannot separate that from this movie when they probably did enjoy the movie. Again, I think this is a really hard movie to go into and not have fun for most of it. I think you have to be pretty cynical to walk out saying I was bored or I just didn't like it at all. So I've been really frustrated by it. The other thing I've been frustrated about is the kind of film Twitter group who's like constantly putting out shots from this movie, just nitpicking the CGI. Like I understand the CGI was not great in this movie, but you can't base whether you like a movie off the CGI. It can be an element to why the movie doesn't work as well as it should, but that alone does not make a movie bad. And it seems like a lot of people can't really come up with an argument other than that as to why they have been hating on the movie as much as they do, and it's just really disappointing. And I think part of it is because I am a defender of DC. I have been ever since I started this show, and especially in the past couple of years where it feels like everyone's turning on them, and with them getting reset, it just has been really frustrating to watch, not only as someone who enjoyed the movie and would like more people to enjoy it, and I think I would accept that either way. Like, I enjoy Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness way more than most people, and I get it. And I do get it for this movie to a certain degree, but the kind of... I feel like invalid and just unjust takes on this movie have really frustrated me. And I really do hope that this is one of the last times as well that we see a movie hyped up so much that once it does come out, people's expectations are either unrealistically high or they just want to stand out and want the movie to fail. So yeah, rant over. That went on for way too long, but I just needed to get out of my thoughts on how the first reactions have gone. With that said... Let's get into it, and there are segments on, on Spotify for podcasters, so if I ever do go on a rant like that again you don't want to hear it, you can skip out to the actual part of the episode you tuned in for. So now actually talking about the movie, getting into it, and I'm not going to run through the plot here, that will be safe for my spoiler review, but looking mainly at the back half of this film, everything's been set up, we have tons of great moments, and getting into the third act of this movie, which is mainly where I'm going to show focus this episode on. So the final battle depicts... Supergirl, both versions of Barry Allen and Michael Keaton's Batman, taking on Zod and his mini Kryptonian army. And the final act is, well, the, just the stakes of the final act are massively changed when Supergirl dies and we learn that this version of Kal-El was killed by Zod because they did not have kind of the genes to get for Zod to connect with the Konex and for the world engine to create a new Krypton on Earth that, that was Kara Zor-El, Supergirl. So it sets her off, and then she gets killed. Michael Keaton's Batman gets killed by just ramming his ship straight into one of Zod's ships. And because of this, young Barry, Barry 2, 
is really set off and really wants to fix things. And knowing that his older self, Barry Prime, did that earlier in the movie, they decide to start changing things. And as the more they change things, the, uh, the characters keep dying. Barry Prime gives up at a point, but Barry 2 keeps trying to change things. And we have this really great moment in the movie where Bat- Michael Keaton's Batman is killed by the massive Kryptonian. I don't remember his name. And we have this really great and really quiet moment between Barry Prime and Batman, where Batman says, where Barry says, we can't save you, can we? And, or some, something along those lines. And, and, or so we can't bring you back, I guess that's the line. And Michael Keaton's boo says, you already did. And that's, of course, referencing him coming out of retirement and learning to really appreciate and love his role as Batman again and really getting into what, in many ways, he thinks gave his life meaning. I love that moment. It was a really quiet and subtle way to end Michael Keaton's Batman story in this film. It'd be a really nice bookend to a degree of his character as a whole, considering we'll probably never see him again with the way the DC, the future of the DC has been shifted after James Gunn and Peter Safran have been brought in. That's great. I love the way that was done. And I obviously, again, it's probably the final moment where we'll see him. And moving on from that, we have this conflict that comes up because Barry 2, being the arrogant version of Barry, and I guess not arrogant, but the one who's been grown up spoiled relative to Barry Prime, who hasn't experienced the loss Barry Prime has, who's has, who has the life that Barry Prime pretty much has always wanted. Not ever experiencing that loss and not ever learning really the consequences of the potential time travel and reality changing that Barry Prime is doing keeps changing things. And this is where we get the reveal that the dark flash that was in earlier in this movie, this is really awkward to talk about because I never talked about the entire movie, but we learned that that is the younger Barry years, I don't know, like time, multiple timelines later who's still trying to fix things, but has done gone through so many versions of this trying to fix things that he is just completely disfigured. Like there's shards all over him. He's been stabbed everywhere and he's still surviving. It's also revealed that that version of that older version is the one who knocked Barry out the speed force earlier in the movie just to create the younger Barry. So they would get powers. and They would eventually get to the situation. Now that's the part that a lot of people seem to be confused on. That's that the, Younger, I guess older Barry, as in the Dark Flash, was the one who threw Prime Barry Prime back into 2013 so that young Barry would eventually become Dark Flash. That was a really unclear explanation. That's really the best way to explain it, considering the way the movie depicts this. Now, I have a lot of problems with this scene and the way it plays out, particularly, again, how rushed the reveal is and just how much of it relies on so much exposition. But the thing that I really didn't like about this was then we move into a cameo scene. And it felt so out of place for when, the, when Barry's internal struggle is so on display for that to happen. And then we move into Christopher Reeve's Superman, which is the main one I was referring to in my review when I said it felt, I felt a little grossed out by it and I don't think it really worked because not only is he not alive anymore, it was such a CGI face and all the other ones where I thought Nicolas Cage's one really worked and speaking of that was one of the two cameos I'm referring to that I absolutely screamed about so just to give you the history behind Nicolas Cage as Superman also we also get um the original Superman from the Superman TV show all the way back in the 50s we get the Supergirl from the Supergirl movie in the 80s and we get Adam West Batman as well but the one that I really appreciated was Nicolas Cage's Superman just give you a little backstory Nicolas Cage was meant to be Superman in a movie directed by Tim Burton, who 
directed the first two Michael Keaton Batman movies called Superman Lives. And that movie was intended to feature a fight scene between Nicolas Cage and kind of this spider robot. And that's the reason that was what Nicolas Cage's Superman was fighting. And I never thought I would ever see that version of Superman. And I love Nicolas Cage. So just seeing that got me so excited. And then that was probably the biggest cameo and the biggest reaction from me in the theater because I hadn't read the quote from Andy Muschietti that he spoiled it. So I was so excited. I wanted to jump out of my seat. I was so excited to see him. And that's the history. That movie never got made. So that's why he's in this movie. And that's why people are so excited to see him. Moving back to the actual what's going on in the main plot. This older Barry who's mad at, the, at, the, at Barry Prime for pretty much ever creating this universe. But more specifically, because, he's try- because he didn't help young Barry to fix the timeline. Save Batman and Supergirl because he doesn't want them to die. Tries to kill our version of Barry. But then young Barry from 2013 stops him. And I thought this was a really great way to close out, kind of the, the resolve the conflict. But I felt the conflict itself wasn't presented well enough. And this finally complete, complete Barry Prime's arc where he learns and what he brings up. Not every problem has a solution. And now that a great line from earlier in the movie that comes back here. He can go back. He saves his mother in a really powerful scene that really, really hit me. I actually really felt it during the scene. A lot of people thought it was rushed. I didn't feel so, and I thought it worked really well alongside the scene we got earlier of Barry putting the tomato, um, putting the um, tomato soup into the cart. Now Barry's taking it out, and he has a really nice moment with his mom. And you can kind of see a bit of recognition almost from his mom. Like, she knows this. She has a feeling this might be, his, might be her kid, but also not. But she kind of has a sense of recognition, even though she obviously knows that can't be my kid. I loved the way they captured the look on... Nora's eyes and just Barry and the moment where it goes still and he leaves suddenly such a powerful moment I loved it and that's very similar to the comics where Barry does actually have a final time to say goodbye to his mother but that takes place in the alternate timeline while in this movie takes place in the well I guess in both timelines because the same event takes place in both times so I thought it was really interesting with an older version of his mom but in the movie it's the younger version so I thought that was a really interesting change from the source material, Flashpoint, which has also been adapted into an animated movie, Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox, which is a really good, probably one of my favorite DC animated movies ever. Highly recommend seeing it. And once that's happened, Barry Prime decides to put the tomato soup on a higher shelf so that Henry Allen, his dad, has to look up at the security camera when he's picking it up. As a result... Henry Allen is let out of prison and is finally admitted to be wrongly accused of the murder of his mother, and he's finally released from prison. And Barry's really happy about this. He's walking out the courthouse. And then he gets a call from Batman. And immediately, I recognize on the phone, that was definitely not Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton has a very distinct voice on the phone when he says, congratulations, and I'm pulling up or something like that. That wasn't Michael Keaton. Now, I felt like it kind of sounded like Ben Affleck, and that's obviously what would make the most sense because Ben Affleck was the original timeline flat, uh, Batman. But then a car shows up, and he walks out, and it's George Clooney as Batman. I could not believe my eyes. This was the other camera referring to that I never imagined I would ever see George Clooney up on a big screen in my life. I, again, was born almost a decade after Batman and Robin came out, and I could not fathom what I was seeing. 
and I pretty much missed almost all the dialogue during this of and I luckily I was reading the dialogue afterwards on a, some an article that put it out there but I was in disbelief like I just could not believe it now Batman and Robin not the most loved DC film or Batman film of all time but I have to say for me personally I loved this appearance and it I thought it really ended the movie on the on a perfect note in terms of the tone you want to end on it left a big smile on my mouth even though I, I don't love him as Batman but I've always thought conceptually he's a really good pick for Bruce Wayne I just don't think that I don't think he played it well and I don't think they wrote him well at all and I really hate Batman and Robin but I just enjoyed seeing him back just for that one moment just for the memories I'm going to take away from this film that's one of the main ones with that said what does this mean for the future of the DCEU because there's no the DCU because there's no hints as to what which universe varies in but because of the way time travel was explained earlier in terms of when you change something that creates a fulcrum point where a new timeline is created and the rest of the the rest everything that's happened past and future aside from that one present moment is completely changed i loved the way they did that i love the explanation and that plays in here where now that because barry got his parents out of prison i have no idea why they're related but that's not really the point the point is those small changes just cause the time the the uh, time, space time continuum to continuum to erupt or I guess get chaotic enough that more is changed than intended. So because of that, Batman is now George Clooney. He looks different. What does this mean? One thing that I don't think is it, and this is where a lot of people are heading towards, and I don't understand this interpretation, is that George Clooney will play the future version of Batman in the DCU and you will will be the Batman in Brave and the Bold, which would make him like 40 years older than the version of Superman we're about to get, whoever James Gunn casts as that character. That was not my interpretation. My interpretation was that this is now the universe where Barry Allen has ended up and because of that, the main DCU that will follow in the future is a different version of the timeline that's taken place that's taken place on a different in a different way it's just completely different and what i think this does more so even though it doesn't make any sense within the time travel logic of this film is that this now puts a lot of the dceu actors we've come to love like jason momoa's aquaman and probably his other ones like not love as much but ray fisher cyborg and also ezra miller's flash in a different DC universe so that the main DCU, James Gunn's one, does not have much to explain when it comes to recasting some people but recasting some not. And the movie even hints at that in the post credit scene when it mentions some people look the same and some people don't, hinting at the fact and going with the fact that James Gunn's reboot will not be a wholesale reboot but rather a not soft but not hard, like a mid-reboot where some of the actors are kept at some or not. What I think this makes pretty clear is one... Again, George Clooney will not be bad enough, but this was for a fun gag, and it really worked. I really enjoyed seeing him. But I really do think this was their way of mainly moving on from Ezra Miller as The Flash. And now that they're off in their own universe, they're in the Clooney-verse, they don't have to explain off why he's not there, why uh, this version of Barry Allen is not there, while, for example, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, I assume, will continue in James Gunn's DCU. That was my interpretation, especially before seeing the post credits scene. This was their way of 
have, moving on from Ezra and putting all the baggage behind it, introducing a new Flash. Hopefully, Wally West. Go go listen to my episode from last year where I give you ideas on how to give DC a couple ideas on how to reboot the Flash, which I'm sure they will never use because James Gunn is way smarter than me, and he will come up with a much better way to do it than me. But anyways, I that was my interpretation. Then I think the post-credit scene stirs it up a little bit. Now overall, this post-credit scene not as significant as I'd hoped this movie would give and not this felt more to me like a closing chapter of the DCEU like a lot of characters we've come to know have now landed in the Clooney verse I guess this version of a universe where George Clooney's Batman the main DCU is a different reality where some of them look the same and some of them don't which is he's in this post-credit scene this post-credit scene has Aquaman drunk he lands on the floor and he sleeps in a puddle and he gives Barry some treasure Barry walks off but the main part that really matters here although I really like the cameo early on in the movie with Tomorrow Morrison, who plays Arthur Curry's dad. But I, one thing that I really like, the one thing that I appreciated most about the scene was that Barry references some people look the same, some people don't. Jason Momoa's Aquaman is the same. Now, what this tells me is that I think Barry Allen will be recast or Wally West will be introduced and Ezra Miller will not continue to play The Flash. But it does mean that Jason Momoa will likely continue to play Aquaman in the main DCU and obviously Aquaman Lost Kingdom comes out this year and I do think Aquaman and Lost Kingdom will take place in James Gunn's main DCU which doesn't seem to be the common take most people think James uh Aquaman 2 will take place in this Clooney verse I don't think so personally I do think this was just their way of moving on from Ezra and them dropping that hey Jason Momoa is in is Aquaman he looks like that in a lot of the universes so that we understand Aquaman Lost Kingdom might take place in not the same universe as uh, the Clooneyverse we see at the end of The Flash. And that is my interpretation of the ending. That Ezra Miller has now been, Ezra Miller has now been put in the Clooneyverse. That's that. But Jason Momoa's Aquaman might continue in James Gunn's DCU because Barry Allen mentions you mostly look the same and you kind of, the same self. It's, a, it's an amusing scene, but I just wish we got something a little more definitive. And I think it's really interesting because I really thought Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom would act as the clearest closer of a lot of what we're moving on from in the main DC when it seems like this is it because we'll probably never see Ben Affleck's Batman again. He probably won't make a cameo in Aquaman 2. We'll probably never see Henry Cavill's Superman again. And this is probably the last time we'll see the main version of the DCEU we've been following for now 10 years. And Blue Beetle will almost certainly because it's pretty... Separated, even if it had Batman references, it could just reference the Batman we're getting because the Batman we're getting in, in The Brave and the Bold is a older version of Batman because he's had Damian Wayne, by the way, Andy Muschietti, who directed The Flash, is directing that film. I was going to make a separate episode on it, but too much stuff to do this weekend, too much other things to talk about. And that was my interpretation of the ending. And that's, I think, pro- that's definitely what I'm thinking when it comes to the post credit scene, what it could mean for the future. I think it was the main device to not only show that the upcoming DCU can have some of the same action, some of them don't, but mainly to move on from Ezra Miller, Miller's version of Barry Allen and a lot of the other actors we've had who may look different, like particularly Batman, who apparently looks different in every universe. Everyone's now identifying the universe, including myself, by the Batman in them, like the Affleck-verse or the DCU, Michael Keaton-verse, the Tim Burton-verse, and, or I guess the Flashpoint world. Now it's the Clooney-verse, or the end of this movie world, I don't know. But 
That's what I'm thinking when it comes to the end. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Make sure to let me know by sending me a voice message over on Spotify for podcasters and answering the poll over on Spotify by telling me whether you liked the way this movie ends or not. I'm really curious to see where you guys are at with that. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk about more about this movie soon and rank it up against the DCEU soon. Catch you all next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.